My name is Nick, in case we haven't had the chance to meet, and it is so good to be with you. I'm going to start by telling you a story. Is that okay? It's one of my favorite stories to tell. If you've been through our One Life class, you've already heard it, but I think you can stand to hear it again. It's just a good story. It involves Trevor and I, you know, Pastor Trevor. He and I went to high school together. We went to the Bible college here in Columbia together as well. And while we were in Bible college, we had this, this crazy opportunity, sort of just weird and out there opportunity to go and play American football in Italy. It's weird. I'm not sure still how it happened. But they put together this, this team of former high school players who, who thought they still had it, people like me. And, uh, hey, a chance to put on a helmet and some pads and hit some people again, that sounded great. And then they also had some current college football players and some high school players. And so we got this conglomeration of people. We went over to, to Italy. Apparently the Italians love American football. They're just not very good at it. And so we had a clinic for them for a whole week in Rome. And we got to travel around and see everything and eat. And boy, did we eat. Whew. I had so much fun with my friends. We had these just all these weird sort of things happen while we were there. And one of my favorite moments, a group of us, they, they let the college students have a day to themselves without the high school kids. And so we got to walk around and do some sightseeing on our own. And all of a sudden, while we were walking around, our friend Wade, he stopped us. And he goes, guys, I almost forgot about this. Now, you have to kind of understand who Wade is. Have you ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? He's Ferris, right? And I'm serious. I used to call him Mouth. He just had this way of, like, talking himself into things or talking himself out of things. In fact, this one time we were on the trip. This is a little rabbit trail. Sorry, but it's great. Uh, we get off the bus, and it's pouring down rain, right, in Rome. And, of course, there's some guys there immediately to sell us some umbrellas. It's pretty smart. And so Wade, he talks them down to, like, half of what they are asking and buys the umbrella right? Which is pretty good. So a couple hours later, we get back on the bus in the exact same spot, and they're the same guys trying to sell umbrellas. Wade jumps in front of them and proceeds to sell the same umbrella for twice as much as what he bought it for right in front of them. They were like, wow, he's good, right? So this is Wade. So he stops. I'm like, whatever this is, is going to be good because it's Wade. And he pulls out this black box and he goes on to explain to us how before he left, he was at his girlfriend's house. He married her eventually. But uh, his girlfriend's mom was kind of joking with him about how cool it'd be if, while he was in Rome, if he'd take a portion of her, her, dead, her dead father's ashes, uh, take them to Rome and scatter them somewhere in the city while he was there, because that's where he was from. And so Wade's like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's do it. And so she takes part of these ashes and she puts them in a Nesquik box. I don't know, Nesquik, it's like Ovaltine, right? Puts it in his box, duct tapes it shut and gives it to Wade. So Wade shows it to us, and we're like, well, we know what we got to do. We've got to have a memorial service for this guy we've never met. And we find a bridge, because that seems romantic, you know, and kind of the right type of spot. And we say some nice words about him. We go to dump the ashes off the bridge. Now, normally, ashes fall. You notice that they're heavy, so they fall. I think we got the very top part of the ashes, because part of them happened, then blew right in the face of one of our friends who was with this guy by the name of Kunzi. Now, before I tell you what happened next... You got to get an idea of who Kunzi is. He's about six foot six, 300 plus pounds, played football at North Greenville, dressed head to toe in camouflage, right? Good South Carolina boy, right? In the middle of Rome, Gucci, Versace, camo right there, you know? <laughs> it's massive. And he's one of those guys who, like, when you see them and then you hear them talk, it just doesn't line up, you know? Like, his voice didn't look anything like his body. He had this really daisily voice like this. And so as soon as, like, he gets his face full of cadaver dust, hits him right in the face, he just starts screaming. It's like, ah, get it off, get it off, just going nuts, right? 
And people see this massive guy in camo going nuts, going crazy, and start looking at us. And we realize people are looking. And so we just threw down a box and took off running, right? And this cop who happened to somehow notice we were American, I think the camo gave it away, right? Starts yelling at us, hey, buddy, why are you running? Pretty good Italian impression, right? And so without even thinking, I yell back to him, we just threw a dead guy off the bridge. <laughs> I don't know if he heard me or he just didn't feel like running, but he, he let us get away. <laughs> I, I got so many stories like that from that trip. I really do. It was one after the other. It was, it was probably one of the best weeks of my life. And what's so funny is when I think back on that trip, more than I remember all the sights or the food, and mm, say the food again, mm -hmm. more than I remember all that, you know what I remember? The great time I had with some of my closest friends. I remember the people. And I think you all would agree with me when I said that in life, what matters to us most isn't what we have, it's who we have. I get amen to that. And really what I want to do this morning is I want to drill down on that. I want to drill down on the gift that you and I have in each other. And specifically the role that our shared life plays in our faith journey, in our effort to level up. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them up to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you want to use the Bible in your pew, it's on page 221. But we've been in this series we've called Level Up. Sort of the, the, the heart and the soul of this series is, is to really move you and I, inspire us to take advantage of everything God has made available to us in Jesus Christ. Because see, the gospel, it isn't just good news about what happens to us after we die. It's also good news about what's available to us right here and now. And that because of Jesus, we don't have to fear death, but you know what? We don't have to fear life either. That because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, we can change. That's good news. Am I right? We can be transformed. We can level up. And so we've been using this really fascinating passage at the beginning of 2 Peter as a sort of guide for us. And it's chock full. All these insights on what it means in real life, real life to level up. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I read to you from God's word this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse Three. Listen to this stuff. This is some good stuff. His divine power. Hold on. Whose power? Whose power? His power has given us everything we need. And the Greek word for everything is, of course, everything. That's what it means. Not just some things. Not just a little bit. You've got everything you need. Everything you need, you already got it. Think about that for a moment. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, and I hope this blows your mind, you may participate in the divine nature. Whew. You may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Whew! And that's like, you got to do that after reading a passage like that. I'm just, quick, quick question for you. 
How different do you think we would be if we actually read stuff like that every day? Can you imagine? If you spent the first part of your morning meditating on that, soaking in it, if that was the tapes you had playing in your head, right? We all got voices in our head that say certain things to us. Doesn't mean you're crazy. It means you're human. What if the voices were reinforcing stuff like this? That'd be something, wouldn't it? And just in case you forgot, we have a devotional available for you every single week. You pick it up on your way out, help you get started with doing something like that if, if that's not something you're doing on a regular basis. But man, it is evident from the very beginning that this author has a, has a great deal of confidence, wouldn't you say? Great deal of confidence in terms of the type of character you and I can have. And the quality of life that we can experience. And one of the things I take away from Scripture when I read it from front to back, one of the clear messages to me is that God believes that you and I are capable of more than we think we're capable of. God thinks that. You, you hear it said all the time, and it's so important for us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. I believe, I agree, nothing of eternal consequence will happen in our life if we don't do that. Trust in who Jesus is. But you know what else is kind of mind-blowing? Jesus has got faith in you. Jesus believes that you the power of the Holy Spirit can live a really beautiful life. Is that good news for anybody in the room? That we can be changed, we can be transformed. And so in the middle of this passage, we find this list of virtues. And we've been looking at one virtue at a time. This week's virtue is mutual affection. And that sound nice, right? Nice and cozy, nice and cuddly. Now, the New Testament was not originally written in English, newsflash. It was written in ancient Greek. And the Greek word here is Philadelphia, believe it or not. Hey, yo, Rocky, right? Any Eagle fans in the house? Chili, Philly cheesesteaks, right? Philadelphia, that's the word here. And it's a form of the word phileo. Now, it's often translated into our English word love. Here's where it gets a little complicated. We've only got one word for love, and it's love. Well done, right? The Greek language had several different words for love. And they all often get translated into our one word, which can make it a little confusing. But for the ancient Greeks, love was a little more nuanced than that. There were different types, different layers to it, different perspectives on what love is and what it looks like. This one is, is, is very specific, and it's not necessarily connected to, to romantic feelings. That's not the love that phileo is talking about. It's talking more about the love that exists in a really good friendship. It literally means love of the brethren. This is why Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. But it's the kind of love and affection that shows up in a very intentional, very healthy, very good friendship. Now, we've got to distinguish it a little bit, though, from that, too, because there was another word in the Greek, this word storge. And this word referred to that almost effortless affection that you and I have for the people who are easy for us to like. You got some people like that in your life, right? You just can't help it, but like them. You love them. It's that sort of warm, unforced sense of warmth and kindness that we feel towards our favorite people. Now, not everybody is our favorite type of people. Am I right? I mean, I'm just going there. There's probably some people in your life who it's hard to like. Am I right? Can I get amen to that? I know it's true because you just thought about them and I saw your eyes roll back in your head. Right? <laughs> See, Phileo is not talking about that. Phileo is talking a type, about a type of, of love, affection, that actually requires a bit of work, a bit of effort on our part, some intentionality. This is why it's often translated as mutual affection. 
There's a mutuality, a reciprocity to it. It's a, it's a commitment. So here's Nick Cunningham's working definition for phileo. Here's what it is. It is the love that exists within purposeful relationships of mutual obligation where there is genuine concern for one another's growth into healthy human beings. So phileo is. It is purposeful relationships of mutual obligation where the concern is that I, I, my desire for you is that you become a healthier version of you. And your desire for me is that I become a healthier version of me. This is phileo. Now there's two sides to this for us in terms of leveling up, right? In terms of our, our growth, our maturity, our sanctification, whatever word you want to slap on it, right? There's two sides to this. On the one hand, phileo should be a fruit of our faith, evidence of our faith, right? If, if we are following Jesus and the spirit of God is transforming us from the inside out, we are in fact leveling up, then one of the things that should be happening is that we are growing in things like compassion, growing in things like generosity, growing in things like, like love and patience towards other people. Y'all know you cannot separate your, your life with God from your life with other people. You realize that, right? This is always about that and vice versa. I mean, the, the, the healthiest, the, the easiest way to check your, the health of your connection with God, how are you doing with other people? How healthy is your posture towards others, particularly those who drive you a little nuts? You want to know how things are going this way? Look at how things are going this way. Are you with me? In fact, 1 John chapter 4, I mean, it puts it really plainly. Here's what he says. 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Just puts it out there for us. You cannot say you love God in the same breath say you hate somebody else. And just because you aren't saying it doesn't mean it isn't true. Are you tracking me? This is always about that. It goes on to say, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. You see, leveling up, spiritual maturity, growth, sanctification. Again, pick your favorite phrase, slap, whatever you want to call it. Moving ahead in our faith. It's not some individualistic morality that we do in isolation. It's not. If it's happening... It's going to show up in your relationships. Jesus talked about growth, not in some certainty about certain ideas or beliefs. Jesus talked about growth in terms of fruit. Fruit is about having a certain type of presence in the world. It's about how you interact with other people, the way you see them. It's bigger than that. And so I'm going to be just as blunt as I possibly can. Can I do that? If I offend you, I'll take you to lunch. Put it on Pastor Jeff's tab. Here's what I know. If your commitment to following Jesus is turning you into a jerk, then you're not following Jesus. Are you with me? Growth and maturity is not something that we measure up and over and against other people. And if, if Jesus is really getting a hold of you, then one of the things you're going to find is you have patience with other people, particularly people who are difficult. You're going to have compassion towards them. You don't sum them up or write them off in overly simplistic ways. You're going to begin to, to extend yourself towards them. Make an effort to understand who they are. Are you with me? So on the one hand, 
mutual affection, it's a fruit of our faith. It's proof that we are, in fact, leveling up, that we are growing, that we are, in fact, following Jesus. So on the other hand, though, mutual affection is also a tool for our faith. Notice the author says in 2 Peter, add or supplement your faith with mutual affection. It's meant to be a gift for us. These relationships of mutual obligation, it's meant to be a gift for us in our effort, our work to level up, to actually follow in Jesus. That's that's why I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning is just sort of kind of kick around a bit. You know, how, are, how is mutual affection a gift for us in our faith? How does it come alongside us in our, in our work and our effort to follow Jesus to level up? That's where I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning. First thing I'll just say right off the bat is that our life together, this, this phileo, right? Our life together, it's one of the primary places where you and I, where we actually encounter God. Where we experience the presence of God. Because the presence of God meets us in a really unique way when we connect with each other, when we do life together. I mean, God is best understood as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? I remember, I remember, you remember learning this in the flannel graph in Sunday school, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God is somehow this three in oneness. God's not one, God's not three, God is Trinity. It's this weird thing. The best the way I've ever heard it described is God's kind of like an egg, which I think is funny. Like 2,000 years of church history and theology, the best we could come up with is God's kind of like an egg. Got the shell and the yolk and the white. You know, you've heard that before. I don't know that we'll ever really understand how Trinity works, but we can be sure of what it means. God isn't just in a relationship. God is relationship. God is community. God is this sort of eternal community of self-giving, perpetual love. That's what God is. And we've been created in the image of this God, which makes us deeply relational creatures. And so being in relationship, being in community, it's not just another thing that we do. It's a vital part of who we are. This is why your deepest wounds, if you were to look at them, deepest wounds, if you trace them to the root, probably has something to do with a relational break, conflict. Somebody died, a divorce, a separation, had something to do with somebody else. Because we're created for this. We're wired for it. And God really meets us in this this beautiful, this unique way in our shared life together. It's it's why we can have these sort of moments where we're with our people. You know, our people. We're just connecting with our people. And and it's like time just kind of stops. You ever been there? And everything just feels right. Everything feels good. And if you pay attention, God feels really close. It was Memorial Day last weekend. Hope you had a great Memorial Day. But I was, I was looking back through some pictures over how we'd spent Memorial Day the past several years. And two years ago, I was reminded we spent Memorial Day camping with some of our good friends, Natalie and Jay. And my parents, or my in-laws, they live up in Abbeville. And they've got about 60 acres, beautiful land up there. It's gorgeous. And we often go camping. Uh, it's beautiful. They, they put a camper out there for us, so it's really more like glamping, Right. But we spend the whole weekend out there riding a four-wheeler. The kids are getting dirty, build a fire. I mean, it is just it's so much fun. And so we decided for all of us to, to do this together. We thought it would be a nice, relaxing weekend. We all had five kids under the age of six. We were dead wrong about relaxing. There wasn't anything relaxing about it. In fact, Natalie, I love it. She says, you know, when you're, when you're a parent of young kids, vacation is something you need a vacation from, right? When you get back, you're more tired than you were before you went. 
Well, we all went there, and man, the kids were running around, and uh, that night we all tried sleeping in the camper together, everybody piling in, right? That didn't go so well because at the time our youngest, both of them were under the age of two, and they just kept taking turns waking each other up. It was like crying baby in stereo. Nobody was getting any sleep, right? So the second night we got smart, and the, our friends had brought a tent with them. So they thought, we'll just go sleep out in the tent. That way, you know, the babies don't, don't wake each other up. Everything was fine for a little while till about 2.30 in the morning when a ginormous thunderstorm came up out of nowhere and just like blew their tent to pieces. And they come stumbling in the camper at 2.30 soaking wet. All the kids are freaking out because they think we're going to get blown away in the storm. It's nuts. And from there, it's a blur. I don't remember what happened. All I know is I ended up in the, like the back part of our minivan, not the back seat, like the back part where you put the groceries in. <laughs> I slept there somehow. I don't even know how that happened, right? So the next morning we're all stumbling out and I'm telling you all this and you're like, I thought you said this was a great weekend, right? It sounds horrible. Can I tell you something? It was amazing. It was so much fun. Like watching the kids run around on the land. I think I got a picture of them. They're picking flowers, looking for arrowheads, riding a four-wheeler. I mean, it was, it was so fun. And then that second night, we managed to get the kids to sleep. And the adults went and sat around the fire. And when you're out there in the middle of nowhere and you look up and you see the stars, beautiful. We started talking and just telling stories. We laughed so much. You ever laugh so much your throat hurts? You know? And in those moments, what's it feel like? What's that feel like in those moments? It just feels right, doesn't it? It's like the things that matter the most just seem a lot more clear. If you pay attention, you know what? God feels really, really close. 1 John 4.12 says it like this. No one has ever seen God. But when we love one another, God lives in us. God's love is made complete in us. God meets us in a unique way. When we connect with each other. And I've found that the, the trick to getting the most out of those moments is to not only enjoy what they appear to be, but take a second and recognize what they actually are. It's an encounter with God. Like that next time you're, you're having that really good conversation with your friend over that cup of coffee, right? And you get that feeling, just take a moment, even if it's just quietly to yourself, recognize what's happening. God is meeting us in this moment. This is God. Or the next time you're gathered around somebody's dining room table late at night playing board games and you're laughing and it's just telling stories, and you get that feeling again, take a second, stop. Recognize what's happening. God's meeting you in that place. That's God. It's one of the primary ways in which you and I, we encounter God is in our shared life, our phileo, our, our connection on, on a deeper level. But I would also argue that the phileo is also one of the ways, the primary ways in which God creates growth in our life. It's where we experience growth. It's where we experience change, transformation. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving his sort of famous teaching on uh, the danger of judgment. We all know this teaching. Don't judge, right? And he goes on to give us that really funny imagery of a person walking around with like a two-by-four sticking out of their eye, trying to point out everybody's specs, right? We know this imagery. It's great teaching. It's so good that we often sometimes miss the point altogether, we get hung up on the judgment part, but we miss what Jesus is actually saying to us because he wraps it up in a really profound way. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck 
from your brother's eye. The whole point of this is that Jesus believes we can become the type of people who can help one another with their specs. Y'all got any specs? I got them. And what I know is I can't get them out by myself. I need someone else who I trust. Somebody else who I've invited into my life, who I've given permission to see me, to speak into my life, to help me get them out. This is what phileo is. It's about having people in our lives we've, we've given permission to speak the hard word to us, to call us out when we need it, because we're going to need it. My friend used to say that his mind's like a bad neighborhood. And you don't want to go in there alone. <laughs> G.K. Chesterton, this guy was way before his time. I highly recommend his book, Orthodoxy. But I love what he says. He says, thinking in pride and in isolation ends in being an idiot. <laughs> like that. It's true, though. I mean, what we need are people who we've let in, that we've allowed to see who we are, and we've given permission to them to help us with our specs. I know I need that. I need a group of, I need somebody in my life who's going to fight for my marriage, even if that means they've got to fight against me sometimes. I need people in my life who are going to come alongside me in my, in my effort to raise my kids in a way that, that points them to who Jesus is. I need help with that. I need people who are going to call me out when it seems like I'm heading in, a, in, in an unhealthy direction. My question is, do you have that? Because I think in, in our culture, in our part of the world, that's rare. And this is where we got to recognize the difference between storge and phileo. Storge is the people you got history with. It I mean, it's just easy for you, for you to like them. You're, sometimes they're your dearest friends. But what I've noticed is sometimes we can be so close to people that we don't stick up for them. We don't call them out even when we should. It can be hard, can't it? Because we, we have their back in a situation where honestly we need to be challenging them to their face. I mean, do you have that in your life? Because if you don't, we'd love to help you find it. It's one of the reasons why as a church we're so committed to small groups. Small groups are not meant to be sort of just passing the time, but there's space that we carve out to meet with other people and we're going to let speak into our lives. I got news for you. This is what it means to be Methodist. This goes deep into our roots. Y'all realize this is a Methodist church? Did you know that? If you didn't know it, hello, it's Methodist church. So our founder, John Wesley, he was a pioneer for these types of communities. He didn't call them small groups. They called them bands. And when they got together, believe it or not, you know what? They didn't study the Bible. You know what they did? They had accountability questions. They asked themselves things like, what sense of good have you left, un left undone? How have you sinned in the last 48 hours? <laughs> Here's my favorite one, though, is how is it with your soul? Don't you love that question? How many conversations during your week have to do with how your soul's doing? And I'm sorry, but this doesn't have, have to be that complicated. This is about getting some people together that you do life with and just saying, hey, what if we carved out some time to be intentional, to talk about the things that matter most? And again, we want to help you do that. Reach out to us. Last thought before we receive communion. I'm so glad we're receiving communion this morning. This phileo, this shared life, it's the way we encounter God. It's the way we experience growth. But ultimately, it's also how we exemplify how we demonstrate the gospel. It's how we prove to the watching world that this Jesus thing's for real. John chapter 17 it's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. This is, it, it captures the moments just before Jesus is arrested and, cruci and eventually crucified. And he's spending these final hours in prayer. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
I got to go to Israel a year and a half ago, and I'm going to tell you that, that part of the trip where we got to be in Gethsemane was the most moving for me. It's a hollowed place. It really is. And this prayer is beautiful. He starts by praying for himself. Then he goes on to pray for the disciples. Then towards the end of the prayer, he transitions. And guess who he begins to pray for? You, me, everybody who would eventually be a part of this kingdom of God movement. Listen, listen to what he says. John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking about the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's you. That's me. In Jesus' prayer, he prays this, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Listen to this. Then the world will know that you sent me. So let that sink in for a little bit. According to Jesus, what's going to prove to the world that this kingdom of God movement isn't just another flash in the pan, but it's actually straight from the creator God? What is it? It's the unity of his followers. It's the fact that they're committed to being one. How are we doing with that, church? How are we doing with that? See, one thing I know is that sin separates. And we see that from the scriptures in the very beginning, creation story. Sin separates, separates people from people, separates people from God. We also experience this from everyday life, don't we? We live in a world that loves to divide itself. We love to separate ourselves. You know what Jesus is about, though? Jesus is about unity. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes what God is up to in Jesus Christ as the reconciliation of all things. Think about that. That in Jesus, God is bringing everything back together that sin's trying to separate. Namely, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Now bring this up because if we're going to enter into relationships with each other, where we're going to have the courage to help one another with our specs, you know what's going to happen? We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to get our feelings hurt. And we're going to hurt other people's feelings. If we're going to enter into that type of relationship, it's got to be a relationship that is bathed, that is soaked in the grace of God. It's got to be like the air that we breathe. Because what I found in life, this is true for, for you no matter what, what, what relationship we're talking about, the depth, the health, the longevity of our relationships. It doesn't depend upon a lack of failure. I got news for you. That's guaranteed. All of that depends upon how quickly and completely we are willing to forgive, to offer grace. That's exactly what communion is all about. I love communion. All of us in this room, we all come from so many different backgrounds. We got Gamecock fans in the room. We got Clemson fans in the room. We got Republicans. We got Democrats. We've got conservatives. We got liberals. All of us come together around the same table to receive the same grace. It's also a place where you and I get confronted by that grace. Because in the light of our own rebellion, you know what Jesus does? 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In light of that type of grace, doesn't all of our unforgiveness just seem a little petty? And so this morning, as you come forward to receive these elements, keep in mind, you don't take them. You receive them. Somebody else puts them into your hand. I just want you to reflect. What sort of grace do you need to receive from God this morning? In light of this whole series, this whole commitment to to level up, to move forward, what sort of grace do you need from God? Same time, what sort of grace do you need to extend to somebody else? What sense of unforgiveness? What sort of grudge, resentment? Do you need need help with letting go this morning?